Hello, and welcome to the U.S. Center for Safe Sports podcast series. At the center, we are dedicated to making athlete well-being and safety the centerpiece of sport culture. Our podcast will connect individuals to important conversations on getting the best and safest experience out of sports. Get ready to learn valuable information, shareable tips, and helpful resources to keep you engaged in the game. Today, we will be discussing Mental Health Awareness Month. Our guest is Scott Niebel, Director of Clinical Services for Child and Family at the Mental Health Center of Denver. Happy listening and welcome, Scott. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you inviting me. Let's start our conversation today by telling our listeners a little bit about you and the work that you do. Sure. So uh, I am the Director of Clinical Services, as you mentioned, for Child and Family at the Mental Health Center of Denver. Uh, So yeah, I support all of our different clinical teams, kind of our range of services that we offer at the Mental Health Center of Denver, which really covers anywhere from even before kids are born, when we have pregnant moms, all the way up through across someone's lifespan and kind of towards the the later years of life. So um, yeah. Great. So now let's talk about Mental Health Awareness Month. Can you give us some information about its history, its importance, and how mental health services have changed or adapted during this COVID time? Sure. Uh, Yeah, well, my understanding of Mental Health Awareness Month is uh, it has a 70-year-plus history, I believe, at this point. So it started in 1949 with Mental Health America, that organization. So uh, and outside of that, I mean, I really just view it as it's a, a great opportunity um, to really have conversations about mental health and build our awareness as a, a society and uh, country about the importance of mental health and really more broadly mental well-being, that it's not just an issue of kind of when we have a mental illness, it's also everybody can benefit from focusing on your mental health and how we can improve our broader sense of well-being. Uh, with regards to what you had mentioned about COVID and the present situation, certainly it feels like there's always that uh, now is more important than, other, than ever uh, sort of commentary, I guess, that people make about things. Uh, so I don't want to overstate it, but at the same time, it does feel like there's a lot of things that are happening right now for us all in our, our broader lives. Uh, just impacted by this yeah, very unfortunate and scary set of circumstances that has led to additional social isolation, obviously, for folks through the physical distancing that's happening. A lot of scary things that may be happening for folks with regards to loss of employment and sources of income. And yeah, just separation from whether it's activities, sports, things like that, that they used to enjoy that really passionate about that were resources and supports for them that help them kind of promote their well-being and preserve their mental health that folks may not have as much access to right now. Um, So yeah, it feels like it's even more important to talk about the ways that we can support one another through this especially challenging time and be really tuned into our mental health and well-being. I like that you frame it as mental health and well-being. So then tell us some about the child and family services at the Mental Health Center, Center of Denver. Sure. Well, yeah, like I alluded to uh, initially, uh, briefly, I guess, in my introduction, we really try to cover the, the whole gamut of, uh, kind of mental health and mental well-being. Um, and yeah, so starting out, uh, we have uh, our infant mental health, early our Bright Start for Infant Mental Health and Early Childhood programs, so where we're working with expectant moms as well as young children in that zero to five age range. 
We also provide consultative services out in the community where we're working in childcare and early learning centers to offer that early intervention to support children. Uh, we have our more traditional um, outpatient range of mental health services for children, adolescents, as well as their parents and caregivers, as, as in addition to adults who may kind of live in uh, the communities that they are a part of, where we have our, our centers within child and family, certainly more broadly as an organization at the Mental Health Center of Denver, uh, we serve everybody to uh, adults without kids or, or any uh, other families that are involved. Um, and yeah, so we offer individual therapy, family therapy, play therapy with kids. Um, we provide case management support, psychiatric services when those are indicated for folks are also accessible as part of our continuum of care. We have uh, school-based services where we're really integrated in a number of different schools within our local community to provide services in that context. Those are looking obviously quite a bit different right now in the midst of COVID. We have more intensive treatment services where we can go out into the community to provide in-home uh, services. Uh, we have other co-located community-based services and partnerships with juvenile justice. Um, we provide couples therapy. Um, yeah, we provide those other types of parent and caregiver support therapy when a parent or caregiver may need additional supports um, that might enable them to be even more effective as a caregiver. We have some specialty services that really focus on uh, the Latinx population, so our El Centro de las Familias a clinic uh, to be able to provide services in Spanish. Almost all of our services we do offer in both English and Spanish, and we have also an interpretation services department that can offer that kind of more broadly, even when we don't have a provider who can speak um, somebody's given um, kind of language of preference. We have um, a deaf and hard of hearing services team to offer specialty services to folks who may be deaf or hard of hearing. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure that I am undoubtedly forgetting something. Uh, we have a day treatment program as well. So we have a school on site. Um, yeah, it really runs the gamut as far as what we have to offer. And like I started to allude to, um, Definitely our services have uh, begun to look quite a bit different in the midst of this COVID situation as well, though, too, just with regards to remote working and doing things via telehealth at this point in time. So, It's great to hear that there are services available and accessible to really everyone in all stages of life and in all situations. Let's talk about mental illness in the U.S. What are some common diagnoses among children specifically? Sure. Uh, well, common, common diagnoses for children in particular, I mean, the big ones that come to mind that seem to be most prevalent based off of the data that's out there are things um, like ADHD um, that gets uh, recognized pretty quickly often with schools and stuff. Um, there's behavioral, general behavioral problems. That's another thing that's kind of quickly identified in kids and tends to be diagnosed more frequently, as well as anxiety and depression are probably the four most commonly uh, diagnosed conditions for children. I mean, the one thing that I know isn't captured necessarily in those primary statistics that we see, but that I feel like we see more frequently as well, um, is just some form of trauma that uh, kids may have been exposed to. It may not reach the threshold of being a diagnosable condition or a full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder, but 
He's like, yeah, unfortunately, so many of our children and families are exposed to a lot of really challenging stressors and traumas in their life that I think often exacerbate and contribute to some of these other um, diagnoses that may become more readily apparent in a school setting or at home when a kid starts to struggle behaviorally. So then tying mental health and well-being to sports, since at the center we focus on athlete well-being and sport, what are some signs that an athlete might be struggling with their mental health? What might coaches see at practices or what might parents see at home and related to the sport that they're playing in their mental health? Sure. That's, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think, um, one, I guess I want to be clear that obviously the symptoms look a lot different like uh, for each particular child uh, kind of what they might express as well as they vary a bit um, from diagnosis to diagnosis um, and at, at the same time i think there's some common themes that we can try to pay attention to across those different contexts i mean i think just any marked change that we can notice in someone's behavior where it really feels like uh, something's changed, they're behaving a lot differently than they had in the past, that that's a bit of an indicator for us that, hey, maybe there's something more going on here we should be paying attention to and look at. Um, when I think about coaches and practices, um, yeah, I mean, a significant change in someone's level of performance maybe that we've become accustomed to, or when we're talking about sports just more broadly, uh, does it seem like uh, a, a child who previously was incredibly dedicated and passionate to a sport has seemingly lost kind of the interest and joy that they used to get out of uh, participating in that activity? It's like a really important thing to pay attention to uh, at home. I mean, thinking about changes in sleep or appetite, uh, just some of those other kind of basic uh, behaviors where we typically have some routine and normal, normal kind of patterns. And when we notice a change there, um, concentration and focus is a big one. And that might be something I suppose that coaches would see at a practice, but parents could also see at home. Uh, and then maybe even some physical symptoms that we can't kind of quite put our finger on if there's frequent stomach aches or headaches that are going on um, with children too. In particular, a lot of times depressive symptoms can more kind of first come about through irritability as opposed to sadness. And so if we look like we're seeing more irritability, that's maybe another thing to pay attention to. What are some ways then in which parents, coaches, or even friends or teammates can check in with athletes to see if they're doing okay, if they see some of those things, what are some do's or don'ts that you might want to share with us? I mean, I, I think the the first thing that always comes to mind is really just don't be afraid to ask. I mean, I think, uh, unfortunately, there is a lot of stigma around kind of mental health and whether or not it's okay to ask, or are we going to put somebody in an uncomfortable situation? Or how do we feel about that ourselves? And so, but yeah, just taking that, that step of asking the question and checking in uh, can be so powerful for folks. So um, that's the place to start. I, I, there's also, I think, anxieties that I hear sometimes, especially if we're talking about somebody we're concerned about with regards to potentially suicide or depression is if I ask them about this, am I going to plant that idea in their head? Um, there's certainly just a lot of research to suggest that that's not the case, that um, if somebody's thinking about it, that's already there. Uh, and if they're not, you asking it isn't going to put it there and kind of make them more vulnerable. So if anything, they're likely they're going to be relieved that somebody is asking the question and there's an opportunity then potentially to connect with them. Um, or if they're not, they'll, they'll let you know that. So, but something hopefully that we don't have to um, 
yeah, make such a big deal in our our minds that it prevents us from asking that question. Uh, and when we're asking, it, then it's just it's so important to really listen to whatever it is that our, our children have to say, and really in a non-judgmental way, um, really trying to be validating to what they have to share. Um, empathy obviously is really huge too, uh, but certainly being careful about uh, there's that delicate balance of providing empathy, validating how people are feeling, uh, and telling people you know exactly how they feel, because sometimes that can uh, pose a little bit of a challenge in terms of whether or not people feel like you really understand their experience or whether or not it's really possible for you to do that. Uh, the other thing that I think about is, uh, and um, I appreciate earlier on how you reflected the frame for this broader conversation and it being more about our broader mental well-being and not just about mental illness. And so, and that means, yeah, not really waiting until we feel like something's wrong, setting that frame early on that, you know, these are just conversations that we have built into our daily routine to check in about how we're doing um, when there maybe is an opportunity, whether it's Mental Health Awareness Month or uh, something else that comes up maybe in the news or with a friend or loved one um, that we build in those conversations to try to normalize and again kind of destigmatize the discussing mental health and um, yeah just having the conversations with folks um, and yeah putting less emphasis on there needing to be something wrong or what's wrong as opposed to that broader idea of how do we maximize people's well-being um, the other thing I guess that really comes to mind for me with regards to parents and caregivers and, and coaches is it's, it's really just so important for us to be taking care of ourselves. Um, so if we want to be able to help the people in our lives, it's important that we've kind of taken care of our own stuff and that we have put ourselves in a position where we're healthy enough to um, kind of support the health and well-being of our children. Um, and it's not to place any blame or shame on any adults or caregivers out there who may have their own mental health stuff going on, but um, certainly how we're doing uh, has such a profound impact on our children because we are really some of the, if not the most important figures in our kids' life and have such a significant influence on their well-being and their broader mental health. And we're the ones that are there to kind of help them navigate uh, the world and kind of their whatever challenges they encounter. Absolutely. Thank you. There are, there's a lot of great information in what you just said, and I hope that our listeners reflect on that and start to build that into the conversations that they can have with the people around them, with their children, or with the people they coach, teammates, and so forth. So thank you. Continuing the conversation about a mental health and well-being, what are some tools or skills that parents can use specifically to maintain that well-being? I mean, Depending on what somebody's mental health uh, kind of or well-being goals are for themselves, there there probably are a lot of different specific things that folks could do. Whether it's building in mindfulness practices, um, increasing different types of healthy routines, whether it's their sleep, diet, and exercise, doing different types of breathing exercises for themselves or building in different elements from positive psychology around whether it's gratitude and um, focusing on kind of celebrating the good things in our lives and emphasizing our strengths. Um, yeah, I guess I hesitate to get 
too far in the weeds just because there's it's so specific, I guess, depending on what someone's goals are, what may be going on for them mental health wise, what types of skills or tools may be most important. But more than anything, I think it's about increasing our own awareness and hopefully uh, as a part of that, increasing the awareness of those other people in our our lives who are important to us. Um, and, and yeah, making time for one another. Um, I think with with kids, I guess, too, the other thing that comes to mind um, as far as things that maybe parents can do um, is trying to foster uh, their children's sense of self-efficacy. I think that can be so important. Sometimes uh, I think we fall a little bit into the, the trap of wanting to protect our children so much. Right? We want to take care of our kids, but um, we might uh, protect them to the point of them becoming avoidance of any type of moderate discomfort or disappointment in their lives. And uh, I think yeah, so much of becoming resilient and building our well-being is also learning to effectively cope with the various stressors that we encounter in our lives. So um, not that we want to send our kids off on an island in and of themselves, but how can we join with them to help them work their way through um, whatever challenges and discomforts that they may experience as opposed to feeling like we want to prevent them from experiencing any of those things in, in the first place. So um, certainly, I guess there are other resources, things like that out there that people can access depending on what level of concern they may have, whether it's talking with their primary care physician um, about any concerns that they may have, whether it's for themselves personally or for their children, um, making sure that we're building close relationships with the other important people in our kids' lives. So um, whether that's the friends and peers that they're spending time with or the teachers and other school professionals accessing those school supports, whether it's school counselors, um, tapping into other local resources we may have, local community mental health centers, um, things like that. Yeah. So as we wind down our conversation today and the importance of talking about mental health and well-being, what are a couple key takeaways you hope our listeners apply to their daily lives immediately after hearing our conversation? Hopefully people are taking away this idea that um, mental health is not just mental illness that yeah certainly there are mental illnesses and we want people to get support in those instances but mental health touches us all um, whether it's through loved ones or kind of our own experiences of our well-being and i think we can all do things that hopefully uh, can enhance and improve upon our, our well-being. I know it's an ongoing effort and practice kind of of my own too, uh, to make sure that I'm integrating some of these different skills and tools and activities that are going to improve my quality of life uh, and improve my well-being, kind of respond to various stressors, which with we're all faced at different points in our lives. Um, so yeah, just that broader sense that um, mental health hopefully can always be part of the conversation in the way that we view physical health too. With uh, We do annual checkups uh, for going to the doctor, things like that. Uh, hopefully we're doing some type of routine and periodic check-ins about how we're doing mentally uh, and where we are in that regards and where we want to be and accessing whatever supports and resources uh, may be available to help us get where we want or need to be. Great. Scott, thank you so much for your time and valuable insight. For more information and resources, visit www.mhcd.org.
And for our listeners, if you know of or suspect abuse or misconduct, report it to www.uscenterforsafesport.org. You can report anywhere, anytime on our 24-7 portal. If you have confidential or anonymous questions and want support for yourself or someone else, contact the Safe Sport Helpline through the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network at www.safesporthelpline.org. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.